the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. We're actually going into Romans chapter 8, and we're leaving Romans 7 behind. And Romans 7, if you'll recall, was the predominant subject of Romans 7 was the power of sin and the law. And as we move into Romans chapter 8, Paul changes. He comes into the predominant subject, which is the Spirit of God, the liberty given through the Spirit of God, it is literally called by many the chapter of the Holy Spirit. Just like Acts is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Many people consider Romans chapter 8 to be the chapter of the Holy Spirit because it speaks so much of the work of the Spirit in the believer's life. It's also called the chapter of the believer's assurance because it literally spells out for us what the Spirit of God has come into our lives to do. Now, today we're going to begin that chapter, and this chapter is probably one of the most exciting, and gosh, it's just very exciting, and, and it's a lot to look forward to and as we walk through it. But the thing, you can look at chapter 8, and you can see that it begins with no condemnation, and it ends with no separation. Now, can it get any better than that? And this is a powerful chapter. We're going to look at the first two verses in Romans chapter 8. The first verse we quote quite often, Romans 8, 1. And Romans 8, 1 is declaring our freedom from the guilt of sin. And Romans 8, 2 is declaring our liberty from the power of sin. So let's look at Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, coming out of Romans 7, remember... Therefore, there is now no condemnation, no adjudging guilty of wrong for those who are in Christ Jesus, who live and walk not after the dictates of the flesh, but after the dictates of the Spirit. Now, that word now is actually a summary word. In other words, he is saying now, forever. It is a, an exclamation now, forever, right now, like your mother said when she was calling you. Now, a change has taken place from Romans 7. Paul is literally making a contrast between a man who lives under the law and under the power of sin in Romans 7, 
to a man who walks in the Spirit of God, who literally lives in union with the Spirit of God. So what's happening here as we move out of Romans 7 is we're actually entering into the new covenant as far as what Paul's explaining to us. We're entering into the new covenant, the way the believer was actually made to function. Now that word is emphatic, it's a shout, it's an exclamation. It's now, not later, not one day when we get to heaven, but right now. Now many of us in our emotions have relegated this freedom that Paul is talking about to heaven one day or after we have shown enough penitence or after we have asked forgiveness and are walking sin free that we can live in the freedom of having no condemnation. We have trouble accepting now as now when we read this verse. We almost read through it quickly and blithely and and we don't embrace the whole truth of it. We end up dragging our feet to prayer after failure while agreeing with the accuser as he recounts to us all that we've done and how we've failed God. And what's, what's sad is we not only agree with the accuser concerning our sin, we usually agree with the accuser concerning our relationship with God. In that case, we see God as being condemning. We see God as being justly angry with us. And then in unbelief, we fall to our knees and cry out for forgiveness, which we already have. Now, how many times have you walked down through that scenario? I mean, I've, I've lived it for a while. A good way to measure unbelief in your life is to see how long it takes you to get up and walk with the Lord after you have fallen in sin. You know, as that time becomes shorter, It's a measure of maturity in your understanding of who your father is and who you are. The Spirit of God wants you to know that now means now. That even after sin, we stand in the presence of God. We stand clothed in righteousness. We stand accepted and loved now. Not when we get to heaven, but now. Right now. Now, if you look at that verse in the Greek... One of the first things you would notice is that no is actually the first word. And that word literally means absolutely not one. When Paul says there is no condemnation, he is saying there's absolutely not one, no speck of it, no sign of it. There's none that you can find, none. And Paul wants to emphasize this in the clearest possible, most emphatic way. That we have no condemnation. You say, yeah, I know, I read the verse, we have no condemnation. Do you really? Do you really? I pray the Spirit of God will reveal to you the truth of what you believe. You have the liberty to fall and to fail so that you can have the freedom to live and to love. And if you're not walking in freedom, if you're not walking in that liberty, then you do not yet know the truth of that verse. The word condemnation can also be translated judgment, a word that relates to an adverse verdict and sentencing for a crime. It's also in reference to a final judgment. The end times, the final judgment being judged for sin. And Paul's already told us what the penalty of sin is. 
In Romans 6.23, he tells us, For the wages which sin pays is death, but the bountiful free gift of God is eternal life through and in union with Jesus Christ our Lord. And there's no degrees of guilt or lesser penalties. And only Jesus can really pay the price of sin. Now notice that he doesn't say that there is now no feelings of guilt. He doesn't say that there is now no accuser. He doesn't say that there is now no failure, no fault. But he says that there is now no condemnation. And why is there no condemnation? Certainly lying deserves condemnation. Certainly stealing deserves condemnation. Certainly thievery and bitterness and hateful actions all deserve condemnation. Do they not? They do. He's not saying that sins don't deserve to be condemned. He is saying that you are not condemned. The difference between who you are and how you behave. There is no condemnation. And the reason there is no condemnation is because Jesus paid the penalty. Jesus paid it all. Jesus redeemed us. Galatians chapter 3 verses 13 and 14 say, Christ purchased our freedom redeeming us from the curse, doom of the law, and its condemnation by himself becoming a curse for us. For it is written in the scripture, Cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree, is crucified. To the end that through their receiving Christ Jesus, the blessing promised to Abraham might come upon the Gentiles, so that they through faith might all receive the realization of the promise of the Holy Spirit. There is none. Now, the argument that I often hear when it is brought up is, oh, yeah, but there is a judgment. There is a judgment. We will stand before a judgment seat. And what they're generally referencing is the Bema seat. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about that. And he says, for we must all appear and be revealed as we are before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive his pay according to what he has done in the body whether good or evil, considering what his purpose and motive might have been and what he has achieved, being busy with and given himself and his attention to accomplishing. This is a judgment of works. It is specifically judging what has been done, not in order to condemn for your failure, but in order to exalt the king of kings for the righteous work that had been done and committed through you. This is where the heavenly hosts gather together in praise and thanksgiving to the author and creator who is the maker and the giver of all good things. This is a worship service. This is not about sin. This is not about condemnation. Therefore, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have been given a new nature in Christ. We have become new creations. There's absolutely no basis for judgment or condemnation. We have been acquitted. Harry Ironside made the comment. He said, you know, even if the prisoner is standing before the judge and he is deaf and blind... And the judge acquits him, he'll be just as acquitted if he never hears or sees it. Now, I see that in my own life. I have, in many cases, been deaf and blind to the fact that it is not God condemning me, but it is myself who is condemning me. 
It is the enemy who is condemning me. And really, for years we believed that if there were no condemnation, then man would just go out and sin and do all kinds of perverse and and wicked things. But there never has been for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And the law, has the law prevented sin from happening? What did Paul tell us about the law? The law actually excites sin. It literally, it's like gasoline on a fire. It causes it to rage. The issue of guilt for the Christian is an issue of unbelief. Guilt in the Christian is an issue of unbelief. Some of us are like those people you often see or maybe even know or heard of that move from one abusive relationship to another because that's what they're familiar with. My wife and I were talking about this last night. And many of us, because we've grown up with or lived with people who are negative and accusing, who are abusive in their judgments, we feel like that's normal. That's a normal way to live. To live in the midst of all that negativity. To live in the midst of judgment and slander. To live in the midst of criticism. To live in the midst of of all of these things is a normal way to live. But it's not. We feel more comfortable with guilt than we do with forgiveness. Do you think that's possible? It is. Many of us have lived years that way. More comfortable with guilt than we are with forgiveness. How many of us, I won't ask you to raise your hand, were saved at a very early age? I'm sure many were. I was saved when I was nine years old. I didn't have a clue. I didn't know the truth of forgiveness. It really wasn't preached much. But the reality of what Christ did on the cross didn't change because of my ignorance. It did not change the fact that Jesus took every sin that I would ever commit through the whole of my life and took it to the cross and then took me to the grave and resurrected me in newness of life and that I came out a new creation beyond condemnation, completely acquitted and justified. I didn't know that. So for years I walked around in guilt and in fear and in condemnation and it was the way I knew to live. It was familiar to me. And you know what? When people came to me and said, do you realize what Christ has done for you? Do you know that every sin you will ever commit has been forgiven? I had a hard time for that. That wasn't comfortable. And in fact, even to this day, I can take on guilt. I can take on condemnation with ease. And I still at times struggle with the truth that there is now Therefore, no condemnation. Now, I know I'm the only one in this bunch of saints that ever had that issue. But that is the truth. We are more comfortable with guilt than we are with forgiveness. And you know what? This also facilitates our judgment of others because you cannot judge yourself without judging others. And you cannot judge others without judging yourself. And what's worse, we judge God. We see him in the light of our own self-condemnation. And we can't truly believe that he doesn't condemn us. We allow our perception to drive us to live in a roller coaster relationship with God emotionally. Close to him one moment, distance the next. Listen, guys. The accuser is the purveyor of guilt, not God. 
The accuser is the one who brings the guilt, not God. Do you believe that you are more productive and walking in truth when you recognize your sin and wallow in the truth of your sin and your guilt and your condemnation than you are when you recognize the work of Christ, the completeness of that work, the redemption, the power of His shed blood, the cleansing of your sin, and you get up off your knees and you shout victory and you go forward and say, I am forgiven, I am redeemed. Who do you think has victory? There's a big difference. Our God doesn't want us to walk around with bags of sand in our soul, with condemnation as a cloak. He wants us to get up and live in the liberty that He has called us to, with no condemnation. Oh, do we fail? Yes, we fail. Do we sin? Yes, we sin. But sin for us is only a stumbling place that brings us to the reality that we need to walk in absolute dependency upon the God who is our life. And He brings us to a place of victory. Every hole we fall into becomes a climbing to the truth becomes literally a mountain we stand on and see his face. You know, the truth is that Judas was more upset about his betrayal of Jesus than Peter was of his, evidenced by Judas hanging himself. You know, the reason is, is because Peter knew more about Jesus and knew Jesus in a different way than than Judas did. Judas was literally consumed with guilt. This verse continues. It says, For those who are in Christ Jesus... We are in Christ as his children, as a branch is in the vine. You know, we can no longer be in the flesh. You cannot be in Christ and be in the flesh. The flesh can never be our position, but it can certainly be our behavior, can't it? If we are living in the freedom that is based in our new birth, we are not bound by sin. We're not bound by the power of sin. We're not bound by acts of sin. We have actually been given a new nature in Christ that allows us To make Christ our focus rather than our behavior and the behavior of others. You see, the the insidious thing about guilt is that it makes sin your focus, doesn't it? You just replay it over and over in your mind. It gets more and more egregious with each play. And you know the characters increase. Each time that you sin and you replay that sin in your head, then you look around for who else might be culpable. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? I'm the only one that does that. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says, For His divine power has bestowed upon us all things that are requisite and suited to life and godliness through the full personal knowledge of Him who called us by and to His own glory and excellence, virtue. By means of these, he bestowed on us his precious and exceedingly great promises so that through them you may escape by flight from the moral decay, rottenness and corruption that is in the world because of covetousness, lust and greed and become sharers, partakers of the divine nature. Being in Christ is to be one with him and to be above condemnation beyond the reach of judgment, and in union with righteousness. In Christ, we have become sharers of the divine nature. That's 
the life of the vine in us. That's what that divine nature is that flows through the center of our being. It is a life that is invulnerable to corruption. It is a life that is invulnerable to disease. It is a life that literally pures, it cleans, it, it literally brings vitality to who we are. It is the truth of our life. We sin, we'll pick up external parasites, but they can't take life from us. They can't change the truth of the life that is within us. We have been set free. We are not condemned. We have been created to live in victory, not in condemnation. Not sinless, but ever in the reality and the context of Christ as our life. Now, I want to read something for you that Martin Luther wrote concerning us being in Christ. He wrote, it is impossible for a man to be a Christian without having Christ. And if he has Christ, he is at the same time all that is in Christ. What gives peace to the conscience is that by faith our sins are no more ours, but Christ, upon whom God hath laid them all. And that on the other hand, all Christ's righteousness is ours, to whom God hath given it. Christ lays his hand upon us and we are healed. He casts his mantle upon us and we are clothed. He is the glorious Savior, blessed forever. Faith unites the soul with Christ as a spouse with her husband. Everything which Christ has becomes the property of the believing soul. Everything which the soul has becomes the property of Christ. Christ possesses all blessings and eternal life. They are thenceforward the property of the soul. The soul has its iniquities and sins. They are thenceforward the property of Christ. It is then a blessed exchange commences. Christ, who is both God and man, Christ, who has never sinned and whose holiness is perfect, Christ, the almighty and eternal, taking to himself by his nuptial ring of faith all the sins of the believer. Those sins are lost and abolished in him. For no sin dwells before his infinite righteousness. Thus, by faith, the believer's soul is delivered from sin and clothed with the internal righteousness of her bridegroom, Christ. Christian, there's no condemnation for the bride of Christ. And that's who you are. Now, as you look at that verse, you'll see at the very end of the verse, a portion of that verse is actually in italics. And the reason for that, as one Greek scholar put it, he says, The earliest and best witnesses of the Alexandrian and Western texts have no additional words for verse 1. Both external and internal evidences are completely compelling for the shortest read. The scribes were obviously motivated to add such qualifications, interpolated from verse 4, For otherwise, Paul's gospel smelled too much like grace. Bottom line, they interpolated or moved a portion of verse 4 into verse 1. So we will refrain from studying that little section till we get to verse 4, at which time we'll discuss it. Romans 8, 2 says, For the law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus, the law of our new being, I like that, has freed me from the law of sin and of death. And as I said earlier, this this scripture is our emancipation from the law of sin and death. Now listen, I'll try to illustrate this for you. 
There are two types of people in the world. Just two. I know different colors, different shapes, different sizes, but there are only two types of people in the world. There are two kingdoms. And there are two different laws to live under. If you live under one kingdom, you live under its law. If you live under the other kingdom, you live under its law. Now, one is the kingdom of sin and flesh. It's where we were all born. It's where we are born in Adam. We are born into the slavery of sin, born in condemnation, born under the law. This was the context of our life. Sin was not just our behavior, it was actually our nature. And we lived out of this kingdom. We were born alive to sin and dead unto God. And the only way out of this kingdom is to die and be born into another one. The second one is the kingdom of God. And just like the first kingdom, you must be born into it. There you are born in freedom, which is the liberty to live out of the natural inclinations of your heart. You have a heart that was created for the things of God. The righteousness of Christ is written into your nature. You have the mind of Christ, the inclination of obedience, the power to accomplish whatever the Spirit might direct. You are a new creation. Thank you for joining Pastor Todd Granger for His Life Revealed, the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We hope today's message has encouraged you to yield to His life in every situation. Rest in His life moment by moment and receive from His life all that you need to show Christ in this world. If you'd like to know more, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. And you're invited to join us for worship services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 7015 Wurzbach Road. If you would like to help support this ministry, send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. And finally, this coming week, our hope is that the image of the invisible God would be visible in you. And remember, wherever you go, whatever you do, the hope of glory is Christ in you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.